And we're learning how the gospel enables us to live a grace-paced life in a burnout culture. Let me say that again. A grace-paced life in a burnout culture. Over the last uh, few weeks, we've looked at things, uh, rhythms like Sabbath and rest and sleep and recreation and how the gospel calls us to actually embrace our limits in order that we can live as those who are poor in spirit and dependent. We're reminded that He is the Creator and that we are created and that He is God and we are dust. And so we've been looking at these rhythms over the last few weeks But I wanted to stop this morning and pause and remind us that soul rest isn't merely about slowing down. Because we can slow down, and slowing down doesn't make us any more like Jesus. And our culture's been trying to slow down for a long, long time. I looked at, I've got a book in my library that I thought of this week. It's entitled, In Praise of Slowness. How a Worldwide Movement is Challenging the Cult of Speed. And I picked that book up. The copyright was 2004. That was three years before the iPhone even came out. How much more do we need to slow down? But soul rest isn't about merely slowing down. Soul rest is ultimately about abiding in Jesus. Learning what it means even in our work, in our rest... To abide in Jesus. That's what Matthew 11 is all about. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But we have to come to him. And so this morning, before we wrap this series up, I want to share with you what I am calling the secret sauce to abiding with Jesus. All right? A little cheesy. Um, You know me, I'm not done with cheesy. But the secret sauce to abiding with Jesus. If I just had 30 minutes to share with someone who said, I'm a brand new Christian, I'm about to get on a plane, God has called me as a missionary, I am going to Iraq, I'm a brand new Christian, what would you share with me? I would share this with them. I would share with them and teach them How to abide. So today I want to talk to you about um, what isn't a new concept. This goes back centuries. The church has known it throughout, uh, even as early as the third century, as the idea of Lectio Divina. So the understanding of divine reading, that as we open God's Word, that the Scriptures before us, um, they're not just text, but that this is the living Word of God. And that God actually speaks to us as we come to Him. It's the belief that Jesus is actually in the text and that God meets with us. That He teaches us and encourages us. That He meets with us in a personal and intimate way as we meet with Him in His Word. John Tyson taught this um, recently. He's at Trinity Grace Church in New York. And I heard a podcast. A bunch of friends sent it out to me, pastor friends, and said, this is great. And he shared an acronym that Wayne Cordero, a 
famous pastor in Honolulu came up with years ago, and it's, again, a little cheesy, but I think you're going to remember it. And so I want to use that acronym and walk you through just what a normal day in my devotional life would look like. And the acronym is TIME. T-I-M-E. It stands for Text, Immerse, Ministry, and then Encounter. So I want you to, I want you to uh, use your imaginations with me this morning. Uh, today's going to be a little bit more teaching than preaching. Are you okay with that? Um, so let's just imagine, imagine that we're just sitting down together and that we're in, uh, well, let's go to my favorite coffee shop. So that would be Otherlands. And uh, I've, welcome to Otherlands. Um, and I'm sorry if you don't like Otherlands. You can repent later. Um, so I just ordered the everything bagel with um, roasted garlic cream cheese and, of course, a black coffee, um, hot black coffee because I drink it all year long. And uh, welcome. You just ordered, you're right here, and you just ordered, I don't know, a uh, cold brew because it's hot outside. So we're hanging out at Otherlands. And I'm sharing with you what it's like just to spend time with God. And when I, when I begin to think about that, uh, well, let's look at Matthew chapter 7. And let's just start by reading this text together. This is um, just a text that I read a couple months ago back in May. And God really began to stir my heart through this text. I'll tell you more about that. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he ask for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Short text. Short text from um, just a devotional passage that I studied back in May. And uh, honestly, it was one of those days where I read through this text and it wasn't this big aha moment, you know. And that's the way that my devotional life is a lot of times. Like sometimes it kind of feels like, hey, am I just going through the motions here? It's not like this big epiphany. Um, sometimes it is. You know, sometimes, but, but a lot of times it's later that God begins to speak to me. And it was later um, when I was in Paragul, Arkansas, and I was with some pastors. And one of the pastors prayed this passage of Scripture just a couple of days after I had read it. And it was like God took one of the phrases from this passage of Scripture and just highlighted it. And it and began to do a work in my heart. But, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So let me back up. Time. How do we spend time with God? The first is text. Now, I know that most likely as you hear this, probably everyone in the room, whether you believe the Bible is true or not, everyone would agree 
Yeah, you ought to read the Bible. Sure, why not? Yeah. In the same way that everyone would agree, sure, you ought to exercise. It's good for you. But the difference between those who believe they should exercise and those who actually do is kind of similar in the way that those who believe we should read the Bible and those of us who actually do. And so when it comes to the text, I get the fact that some of you are right now saying, man, if I would have known he was preaching about this, I would have just stayed home today because I got enough guilt in my life. And the last thing I need is some guy telling me that I need to add one more thing to my schedule. In fact, isn't that what we pay you for? Didn't you go and learn Hebrew and Greek so you could interpret this book to us that is really difficult to read? And the last thing that I want to do this morning is to heap any kind of guilt on you. But if you're wondering what's the big deal with the text, well, let me share this illustration with you. Imagine for a moment, you may need to close your eyes, but imagine for a moment the perfect wedding. And the lady said, oh, that's easy. I got that. It's a huge cathedral, stained glass windows, pipe organ. Friends have come from near and far. Everyone's looking at your bridal party. They look, man, the guy's... They're sculpted. The ladies look like models. They're all dressed to a T. It's an amazing wedding. Not only is there just an amazing wedding, but there is an amazing reception that takes place afterwards because this family has rented out one of your favorite restaurants. And they've closed it down. And it's just open to the, to the wedding party. And you're there enjoying a four-course meal that goes late into the night with dancing And the couple pulls away in an old antique convertible. And you've got sparklers. And it couldn't have been a better wedding. Are you there with me? Do you imagine it? But it doesn't stop there because they're off to the executive suite of a really nice hotel. And the next morning they leave on their honeymoon. Not for one week, not for two weeks, but for three weeks in the Caribbean. And after three weeks just enjoying the sun, enjoying being with one another, they come back. And as they pick up their luggage and they step outside with a glimmer in his eye, the groom looks at the bride and he says, babe, this has been a wonderful three weeks. Let's do it again next year. And gets in his Uber and drives away. Could you imagine that? Is that not in essence what we do to Jesus when we take the salvation that He's granted to us, the commission that He's given us to be full-time missionaries, that commission that's given to each of us in our baptism. We're sent out into a dark and a hopeless world with the good news of the Gospel and the power of the Spirit. We've experienced the most amazing relationship and intimacy that a human being can find. We have come to know the God of the universe, and we simply walk away from Jesus, content to experience an occasional reunion on Sundays or maybe at a missional community when Jesus is saying, I am offering you the greatest intimacy and the most incredible relationship that you will ever experience, and it's available 24-7. It's why the text is so important. 
It's where we meet with God. As a side note, if you are completely dependent upon a pastor or one of our elders to connect you to God, you're always going to be disappointed. Because it's going to just kind of feel like you're merely dating God. You're never going to know the richness of that personal, intimate, fulfilling relationship with the God of the universe who is the only one who, yes, will complete you. To steal a bad line from a movie. And we have to get into the text in order to meet Him. We have to get into the Word. Because in the Word is where we find the power if you look at Acts 6, you see, Ste- you see Stephen, who is a man full of grace and power. And I think that the church in America is, in a lot of ways, missing the power of God today because we no longer know the Word of God. We study a lot of self-help stuff, and we study a lot of messages that are very me-centered, but we don't know the Word. And that was... That was one of the the things that Jesus, it was His most frequent accusation against the Pharisees. He would say, have you not read? And isn't that an odd thing that He would say? Because they had read. They would say, oh yeah, we've read. We can quote to you what we haven't just read, but know by heart. But they didn't have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And so we see that it's not enough to know the Scriptures, but we have to be connected with God. In an intimate relationship. And that's very difficult for us to do. Because when it comes to knowing the text, and I'm spending the most time out of the three, T-I-M-E, we're spending the most time with text because we live in a culture and in a society that's really cynical about the Bible. Cultural wars are raging all around us. And they've, they're reaching an all-time high in America where as I watch the news, I've never seen uh, faith and business mixed so often. You see corporations are now taking public stances on topics like immigration and marriage and pro-life or abortion debates. For-profit companies who are putting out their opinions, not worried about their bottom lines, who are taking up these wars within our culture, and everyone is floating their opinion out there. Everyone's opinions are all out in the open on social media. And the thing that, while we have to bring ourselves back to the text, and why the text roots us and grounds us, is because people elevate themselves above the Bible in order to decide what they want to believe. And so they begin to edit the Scriptures, they pick and choose, and they, they begin to write their own personal narrative. And when you do that, all you end up with is this echo chamber of your own beliefs and preferences, and you just walk away with your own opinion that you brought to the text, and now that you tell everyone else they should believe, all you hear is your own voice. That's why we need the Word of God. Because we aren't God. He is. And we don't need our own voice. We need to know the truth of God that has been unchanging throughout all of history. We need to know the words of Jesus. And so as we look into the text, we come to know Him. So text, that's the most important thing. So remember, we're here in the coffee shop. Sorry, we're getting back to um, 
getting back to T-I-M-E, so we talked about text. And at this point in time, um, if, if I'm having my quiet time, my devotional time, I've got my Bible. Honestly, not this one. I've got this big one at home that's like a big doorstop, and it's an ESV study Bible. And um, I really like it because sometimes I get hung up and I get really annoyed. I'm reading and I'm like, I am clueless as to what that means. And I'll look at the notes or I'll look at a cross-reference. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so those little letters, I'll look at a cross-reference. Oh, that's what that word means. That's what it meant here. So maybe that's what it means here. So I've got, I've got my study Bible with me. If you don't like ESV, NIV's got a new study Bible that I've heard is really good. There's a lot of study Bibles that are out. Commentary, sometimes I'll have a commentary with me. So I've got my Bible. I've got my journal so I can write and stay engaged. And then I've got a really good pen with me. And of course, a black cup of coffee. You can't do anything without coffee. And so I'm sitting there in the mornings. And uh, by the way, I do this in the mornings. And I'm not saying that you have to spend time with the Lord in the mornings. I will, however, say that I have never met anyone uh, in my brief 41 years of living that I can think of who consistently meets with the Lord on a regular basis who does it in the evening. I'm not saying they're not out there. I've just never met them. My evenings, they get swallowed up with all different types of things. And so the morning... When the house isn't stirring and there's not a lot of things on my schedule, that's when I stop and meet with the Lord. And, you know, I just want to encourage you. I know that some of you are like, man, here we go again, talking about quiet time. Like, I want to encourage you. I believe that God, if you've come to know Jesus, that He's taken a heart of stone and He's given you a heart of flesh. I believe you want this. I really do. I believe you want this. I believe that somewhere along the way, maybe... Maybe you put some filters over it. Like maybe there was somebody who said, I heard from the Lord and they really misguided you. But I think that you want this because God's given you a heart of flesh and he's given you the ability to know him. But maybe you've never known how to engage. Maybe the letters and words have just always seemed like black letters on a white page and you just kind of got stuck there. So let's go to the next, let's go to the next word, which is immerse. And that's one of the keys. You really have to immerse yourself in the text. So you can't just read it. So for me, if I'm, if I'm reading this text in my devotional life, in verse 7, I'm reading, uh, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And I've got my journal out and I'm writing questions down. And I'm writing stuff like ask and it will be given to you. Ask about what? I'm writing that. Ask about what? Sometimes I write questions even when I don't know the answers because sometimes just asking the question will move me down the road of interpretation and understanding a passage. So I write as many questions as I can write. So I'm writing down, ask. Ask about what? What will be given to you? Everything? Ask and it will be given to you. What? God's going to give me a yellow Corvette if I ask for it? Like, you know, I'm just like writing silly stuff down. I'm like, what is this passage saying? And then I'm kind of digging into my study Bible and I'm seeing these cool notes that say this whole idea of seek and you'll find, knock and it'll be open to you. Some guys who remember Greek a whole lot better than I do, right? And they say, hey, that's actually a present imperative in the Greek. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, that means that 
it's actually saying, Jesus is saying in his words, keep on asking. Go on seeking. Don't stop knocking. And I'm like, okay, well then that changes my whole perspective of this passage. So in essence, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is instructing us to persist in prayer. Jesus is encouraging us in our attitude, in the way that we think about praying. So I'm like, okay, so Jesus is telling me that in my prayer life, I need to go on seeking and finding and knocking. And he's promising that it'll be open to me. Now, as I start to think about that, I go on and I read verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now I'm thinking about other passages of Scripture, okay? So I'm thinking Jesus is talking about our attitude in prayer. What else has Jesus told us about prayer along the way? And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Jesus is saying, and I remember that God always answers our prayers in His way according to His perfect wisdom and His perfect love. And I'm reminded that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. So that's a place of power. And He's making intercession for us. I'm remembering this stuff that's in other parts of the Scriptures, which means if He's making intercession for us, that there's no bad prayers that we pray, that when I go, Jesus, it says I can ask for whatever I want. I want a yellow Corvette. That Jesus probably intercedes on our behalf to the Father and says something like, just meet His needs for today. You know? And by the way, if Jesus were ever going to give us a yellow Corvette, He is smart enough He would not make it yellow because that is an ugly color. But Jesus knows what we need, not what we want. And so He's interceding on our behalf. And then I'm remembering Romans 8, 26, and I'm turning over there. And, it's, and it says He's interceding for us with groanings that are too deep for words. So I'm putting together, okay, God, You're saying that I'm supposed to continually seek and ask and knock. And now I'm seeing that Jesus is groaning on my behalf with, with sounds that are too deep for words. I'm like, what does that even look like? Well, that, man, the only thing that I can analogy that this parallel for me is like a woman in childbirth, like groans too deep for words, like pain or father and mother who have lost their child, like groans that are too deep for words. I don't quite know what Romans 8, 26 means, but I'm thinking that it at least means that in the midst of my struggle and my misunderstanding and my uncertainty, that Jesus is there and that He is identifying with me and that He is praying for me on my behalf to the Father in an incredible way that ties me emotionally to Him. I'm getting all this from this passage as I'm walking through it. Look at verses 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And then I look at my commentaries. They're giving me all this amazing insight about, you know, how Jesus is making an analogy to say, that in a culture that's assisted mainly by bread and fish, that when a child's really hungry, that he would never, when he goes to his dad and says, Dad, hey, I really, I'm really hungry. Could I have a loaf of bread? His dad would never walk along the seashore and pick up a limestone that's about the size of a small loaf of bread and hand it to his kid and say, here you go, chew on this for a while. He'd never do that. Not to a child who's really hungry. That he would never pull... A serpent like an eel, which was unclean, which they couldn't eat from the ocean and say, hey, 
eat this fish. He wouldn't do that. The commentary is going to tell me that Luke 11, verse 12, same story. Luke adds another analogy about a scorpion and an egg and how a scorpion could sometimes look like an egg. And, and in the midst of all this, it's reminding me that God will never refuse our prayers or, or mock our prayers. Now, at this point in my Bible study, you know, this is all good information, but I can't exactly say that it's gotten really personal for me. I mean, it's good. It's good stuff. But I'm writing this stuff down, and, you know, I believe that God truly meets us in the text when we're open to hear from Him, that He speaks powerfully into our lives. It doesn't always happen in the moment. Sometimes it happens in the moment. But I had read this passage, and a couple days later, I'm in Paragool, Arkansas. Now, I know you're thinking, what good can come from Paragool, Arkansas? Like, where? I don't even know where that is. You know, it sounds like Nazareth or something. But I'm there with a bunch of pastors who are part of our, we're affiliated with the Soma Network of churches, and there's guys who are there from the Soma Network from all across the Southeast. And it's this beautiful day in May. It's like the high 50s, low 60s. We're sitting on somebody's back screened in porch. They've got this huge fireplace. We actually built a fire because it was so chilly outside in May. And um, so we're hanging out, and it's been a wonderful morning. We're praying over one another. Pastors, guys are sharing. They're shedding tears. Um, one guy... Hey, physical sickness ever since he started his church plant. We're praying over him for healing. Just great things are happening around us. And our Soma leader, Duke Rivard, he's getting ready to send us out. And he prays. We're, we're in listening prayer all day long. We're sitting there, we're praying one another. And he pulls up this passage that I've just read a couple days ago, and he prays it. And when he, as he reads through it in prayer, it's like the Lord took these last few phrases... If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven good, give good things to those who ask Him? And it's like the Lord just highlighted that last phrase and hit me upside the head with it. To those who ask Him, you moron. Not that the Lord said moron, but that was what I was thinking. You moron. To those who ask Him, why don't you ask Him? Why don't you ask Him for all the good things that He desires for you? Why don't you ask Him? Why don't you live dependently upon Him? What would you pray to God for, for Midtown and for Memphis, for your own family, for your own life, if you actually believe that God was a healer of souls, that God was the same God of the New Testament who's alive and at work today in our hearts and in our lives and who desires to do exceedingly more than anything that we could even ask or think, what would you ask Him for? And I just realized in that moment, I feel as if I've been missing out on so much because I don't ask. Yeah, I have a prayer life, but do I really ask believing that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and that He's groaning on our behalf? And that He intercedes for us and that He encourages us to ask and seek and not. So I'm in the midst of that and God is just doing a work in my heart and in my life. Now, you say, is this just completely subjective? Because it sounds like you're sitting around a fire on a late day in May and people were praying. And I mean, do you really hear from the Lord? 
Like, is this just completely just, do you just conjure this up? Because you may be thinking, I don't hear from the Lord like this. I think we do have to be careful. Like when someone says, hey, I heard from God and I was reading this passage in Exodus and God said, leave Egypt. I'm sending you out of Egypt. So I'm leaving my job tomorrow because God told me to leave my job. And it's like, kind of, whoa, let's slow down a little bit. Let's maybe pray and fast about that. Let's maybe get some other people involved. Let's give that a few weeks and see if God continues to speak that into your life through his word, through other people, through circumstances. So we have to be careful, yet at the same time, we don't need to be so careful that we don't expect God to speak. Because throughout history, denominations, it doesn't matter what denomination you come from, all denominations have really had a belief that God speaks. Presbyterians, they call it illumination. Us as good old Baptists, we call it, this stuck out to me. Charismatics, they'll say, I got a prophetic word from the Lord. An angel came down from God and spoke to me. It's all the same thing. It's a different belief in the way that what we're saying is Jesus is at work through the text and through his word. And he speaks to us when we expect to to meet with him and hear from him. If all we expect is just to see words on a page and to gain knowledge, then we will become disobedient. Bible study will actually do more hindrance in our lives because we'll gain knowledge without obedience, which will puff us up and make us prideful and we'll actually be less like Jesus even through studying the Scriptures than we were before. T-I-M-E. Text, immerse. you got to get into the Scriptures. Ministry. M, ministry. Too often... We stop with a text. We stop. We immerse ourselves in the text. We get this little nugget and we get excited about it. We get this principle from God and we're like, man, this is great. I'm going to go out and live according to this principle today. And we shut our Bibles and we take off and we stop too early. Whenever God speaks to us, He speaks to us specifically for a reason. And when we begin to see that God, what He's doing, God is most likely wanting something from you. And what's He calling you to? We too often think about this merely from an individualistic perspective. We're such an individual society. Stop for just a moment with me and think back. How long have we had personal copies of the Word of God? It's only been in the last maybe five centuries. And so up to that point, it was a community experience. It was a communal experience of studying the Word, discussing the Word. It was a communal text. And so when we read and when God speaks to us, you know, application is what we usually go for, but application is so me-centered. And that's why I love um, the way in which Wayne Cordera uses acronym T-I-M-E, ministry, not just application for me, but ministry is other-centered. So when you think about ministry, what is God calling you to do in light of other people? What's God calling you to do in light of the church? What's God calling you to do in in light of the lost children of God who don't yet know Him? Your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers that you're going to spend time with that very day that you're studying. What's God calling you to do? What is God calling you in terms of ministry to those who get on your nerves and those you can't stand? 
Because God will speak to you about those people and He will call you to serve them. How is God encouraging you? What reminder is He giving you? What what principle of faith that you need to hold on to? What is He calling you to repent of so that you can walk in the joy and the truth of His Word? So we have to encounter Him in ministry. Now, James 1, 22-25 says it this way. And it's just a quick reminder, and then I'm going to move on to the last. James 1, 22-25 says, But be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And it's amazing how God will move in our lives. I'll give you just a quick example, and then we're moving to the last one. Um, I was reading this last week in Matthew chapter 17, and... Uh, I was in verse, Matthew 17, verse 20, and I'm talking to this friend, new friend on the phone. His name's Chuck Hess. He runs Shared Blessings up in St. Louis. Had a long, hour-long conversation with him about how they do ministry and how that relates to how we could do ministry at Mercy House. And we're getting done, and he's apologizing to me. I'm sorry, it's taking me a couple weeks to get with you. My daughter, she has bone cancer, and we've just been dealing with a lot. Oh, I said, time out, Chuck. Man, look, tell me about your daughter. And he starts to tell me about Carly, who... Um, she had her leg amputated a couple of years ago, and she's had like 80 chemotherapy treatments and 35-odd number of radiation treatments. And how she's got, he said she's got a doctor's appointment tomorrow, and it's really not looking good. And he just said, he said, amazing statement of faith. He said, we're not going to let a doctor's appointment tomorrow steal our joy from today. We're just going to have mustard seed faith for the day and trust God just like we've been trusting. And when he said mustard seed faith, I was like, hang on, Chuck. I want to pray for you. Because that morning I'd been reading in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. And Jesus' disciples had tried to cast out a demon in some kid who had epilepsy and he couldn't do it. And Jesus comes along and they grab Jesus afterwards and they're like, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, you didn't have faith. If you just had faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be moved and it'd be done. And when Chuck said that, I said, Chuck, I just, man, I want to pray for you. It made me remember that passage and I just began to pray intently for Chuck and his family and his daughter that they would just have mustard seed faith for that day, that God would give them peace, that they wouldn't be anxious about tomorrow. Then the next day, I remember, I wake up, God's put Chuck on my heart. I'm remembering mustard seed faith. So I'm texting Chuck and I'm saying, Chuck, man, I'm just praying. Don't write me back. I know you're busy. You're headed to the doctor. I'm just praying you'll have mustard seed faith for today. I'm reminding him that he's loved by God. I'm, I'm praying that he'll have peace. I'm sending all this in a text. He writes me back and says, man, thank you so much. I needed to be reminded of that today. God speaks through His Word. He speaks and He uses the circumstances of our life and the relationships that are around us. And sometimes it's not always an aha moment. Sometimes it just feels like you're going through the motions. Sometimes it's maybe six months later or a day later. Or you don't even remember how you know the Scripture. But God speaks to us. Time. Text, immerse, ministry, and finally encounter. Encounter. You know, if we just listen to what God says and we run out and get busy doing it, we'll be like every other evangelical and we'll burn out in a minute. Because that's just what we do. 
We run out and we do it in our own power. We say, God told me to do this. And then we wonder why months later that we're just like burned out and just tired. And this is so good, this idea of encounter. I once heard, um, uh, I can't remember who said it, it doesn't matter. Meditation bridges the gap between hearing from God and speaking to Him. So meditation is the bridge between reading God's Word and prayer. And we encounter God as we take His Word and begin to meditate. And we say, God, I've met with You and I'm considering what You're speaking into my life. I want to listen and hear from You. I don't want to just run out and do it. Instead, fill me with Your Spirit. Give me the power to do this, the discernment to know Your timing in the right Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers us. And we listen and we don't go out in our own strength, but we go out in His strength. Now, just to end today, um, I want to be real just open with you in sharing that I know that I am a professional pastor. I mean, I get paid to study the Bible. But I would be lying if I didn't say that spending time with God is one of the most difficult things in my life. That I am tempted to allow my sermon preparation to substitute for time with God. That I am tempted to become busy and distracted by calendar and email and phone calls and people and really important things. And to not spend time with God on a regular basis. And a couple of really personal and really practical things that I have taken away just from preparing this message. And the elders are going to preach the next couple of weeks. They're just going to take this same acronym and take just a meaningful quiet time that they've had and share it with you so that you can hear from them how they also work through their devotional lives so that we can practice and be reminded what it means to abide. You know, we always talk about it at the first of the year. And we were like, why not do it in July? Like, why not have like a halftime, you know, locker room talk and be like, hey, how are we doing in spending time with the Lord, not just in January when everybody's setting New Year's resolutions, but in the middle of the summer when everybody's like, let's go to the lake and let's just relax and let's abide, okay? And so here's a couple of things that I'm taking away. I'm taking this clock, which came from Ikea, and I'm taking my cell phone, and I'm going to exchange the two. So in my bedroom, uh, I'm going to sit this clock up. And it's just a good old $8 alarm clock from Ikea. And I'm going to take my phone and I'm going to start leaving it in the kitchen to charge at night. And when I wake up in the morning, here's the agreement that I want to encourage you to join me in. Would you agree with me that you are going to count this text as more important than social media? That you're not going to make social media an idol that you run to before you run to Jesus every morning? So what I've done is I'm going to take my study Bible and my journal and put them in the living room, which is not in my office. My office is in my shed in the backyard. And I'm going to spend time with the Lord before I ever go to my phone and before I ever go to the shed to begin work or an appointment or whatever's calling my name that day. And I'm going to make the commitment to say, Jesus, you are far more important than anything else that I'm going to face today. I'm going to start my day with you.
Now, I want to encourage you that you would join me in that. And here, here's what I know will be true. Just like when you, if you've ever been in a significant dating relationship, you know that it's kind of awkward at times. Like you have awkward moments. But what I know about dating is this, that the longer you're together, the sweeter it becomes. And that my wife and I know usually what we're thinking. Like right now she's like, this is good, but you need to wrap it up. And we finish each other's statements because we've moved through some of that awkwardness and we've come to this really beautiful place where we're one. And what I know to be true is as you spend time with God, there will be awkward moments. But slowly over time, you will begin to develop the mind of Christ. And as you come to know Him more and more and look more and more like Jesus, ever so slowly you will be transformed from glory to glory as you spend time with Him in His Word. Relationships and love are spelled in four little letters, T-I-M-E. Let's pray together.